0: Good morning. Good morning. We uh we have this in this service today. We have an elder and a deacon both being ordained and commissioned into their office. So uh, I've been asked to squeeze it down a little bit. So um, this is a topic that I would love to have three or four weeks on, but we don't have three or four weeks. We have a week. We have about twenty minutes. But before we get started, I'm going to offer a prayer. But I just got to tell you a couple of couple little stories. One of them sets me up for the next one in a way because they both have to do with barbers, okay? So the, the, there's a small town with lots of churches. Sounds kind of familiar, right? And there's a new barber in town, and um, a Catholic priest comes to get his hair cut just around the edges because he didn't have any up here. And uh, so they're talking. The barber's like, so what do you do for a living? He goes, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a priest in the local parish. And he says, uh, wow, well, you do so much for so many. The haircut's on me. Well, thank you. The next morning when the barber walks downtown and comes to his barbershop, there's a, there's a fifth of Irish whiskey waiting for him. Wow. Then a Lutheran pastor comes a couple of weeks later and, and uh, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor at the local Emmanuel Lutheran Church and um, wow, well, you do so much for so many. Haircuts on me. The next day shows up and there's six really good German beers waiting for him at his, his doorstep. Reform pastor comes, same kind of conversation, you do so much for so many, haircuts on me. And the next day, he's kind of waiting, what am I going to have, banquette, you know, what What might it be? There were 14 reformed pastors waiting there. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'm glad you laughed, because that could be an insult. I'm Scottish, man, you want it cheap, I want it free. Um, so, story of another quick, little quick... Barber, to kind of set up what we're talking about, um, this is from uh, William E. Sangster. Uh, he was a pastor or a, a member of a church in Scarsborough, England, in the, from or from 1900 to 1960. He was a barber and he felt that it was his Christian duty to witness to all of his clients, all of the people that came to get their hair cut. Um, but he wasn't always careful. So that's something we should consider because we're supposed to be gentle and humble when we talk about and our, our faith with other people. So one day he lathered up a man for a shave, picked up the straight razor, held it right here and said, Are you prepared to meet your God? <laughs> okay. And then finally, before we pray, um, little boy goes to Sunday school, new Sunday school teacher, a little bit older, um, grandma age. So whatever age that is, I'm one. I'm a grandma? No. Um, but mom, mom asked him when he gets home. How was Sunday school? It's good. It was good. Um, who was your teacher? I don't remember her name, mom, but I know, I know she's Jesus' grandma. <laughs> what? Well, she wouldn't talk about anything else. <laughs> kind of how it goes. So we, we're going we're gonna to read four scripture passages. They're very brief. We're going to talk about Jesus' mission statement. And then we're going we're to we're realize that if we're followers of Jesus, we're supposed to do what Jesus did, even in the area of talking about him with people that don't yet know him. That is uncomfortable. And it's okay to be uncomfortable with it. But what kind of hatred do we have to have toward another person to not tell them what we believe will save them? from eternal perdition. So we have, to, we, have to, we have to exercise our love muscle a little bit. We have, to, we have to, to, to tenderize our heart or ask God to do it so that maybe if given the opportunity, and we all are, we will be prepared to go, go. God's love, it all starts with God's love, our problem, God's solution, our response, Go. G-O. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you and praise you for who you are, for what you do for us, in us. And today in particular, we talk a bit about what you do through us. Lord, we've talked about the truth of your scripture. We've talked about what it means to gather together and how important it is to be part of a Christian community. We've even talked about generosity. But Lord... Last week when we talked about resources, today we talk about generosity of spirit and being willing to take the risk to share with someone the life-saving, eternal address-changing news of Jesus Christ. So Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive what you would have us hear, see, and receive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we talked about the story of Zacchaeus, that he was that, 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 that he was short, he was small in stature, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, so he ran out ahead of him, climbed up a sycamore tree, and then Jesus had an interaction with him. And people, people muttered because he's going to hang out with sinners. But one of the things that Jesus said when he says, I've come to save, um, uh, I've come for the, those who are sick, not the well, that kind of thing. And then he says this, and this is kind of the Jesus mission statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to provide the clergy with a career. To seek and save what is lost. We were once lost. And I know we get a little wonky about it, it's kind of difficult. But if you're lost in a forest somewhere and you run across another person who's also lost in a forest and there he has batteries and you have a GPS? Is it wrong to say, I know the way out? See, other people have things to offer us. They have personalities, they have experiences, they have, they have, they have their own thoughts about things. And it's okay for them to have different thoughts than we do. But if, we're lo- if, if, if someone's lost and you know the way, it's good to share with them the way. They can choose to remain lost, but it's good for, them to sh- for you to share the, with them the way. And we know the way. And it's not just a path. It's a person. Pastor Kurt tells, in, when, when he does funerals, he reminds, you know, the, the, when Jesus says, you know, I'm going to a place. And, and Thomas, how do we know the way? Um, and Jesus goes, I am the way. Pastor Kurt tells a story. I'm probably stealing it from when he's preaching here coming up soon. But of, of every Saturday, he and his dad would go to his grandpa's house. And he had no idea how to get there, but he knew the way. And the way was to get in the truck with his dad. He knew the way to Grandpa's house is with my dad. The way to the father is with his son, your brother, your friend, your Savior, your Lord. Jesus says, I have come to save what is lost. How's our heart on that? Not trying to make it guilt-ridden, most of us have very few, if any, friends or associates that aren't followers of Jesus. It's actually a good thing. That means that you're, you're investing in consistent Christian community. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, as, it says here, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. We know this story. We just went through the book of Matthew. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says, come. I will make you fishers of men. Now, as a fisherman, I like this. But as a fish, I, not, I don't necessarily. If I'm a fish and I come up and I see a worm and I grab it and Trent's on the other end and, and he sets the hook, there's a violent response of turning and being pulled out. It destroys the fish's life, at least for a moment. And then he's got a story to tell when he goes back. I don't know how that goes. Not that fish can talk, I know. But Jesus, when he called Peter and Andrew, he said, come and I will make you fishers of men. He was saying to them, come and I will help you learn to destroy the lives of people in a glorious way. It will turn their head. It, when, you, when I set the hook on a bass, I, the goal is to turn the bass a, from going away from me or wrapping around a post or, or a stick or a log, a lay down, and to turn them to bring them toward me. That's Repentance. So when we are fishers of men, we, are, we know going in, it's going to be difficult to talk to someone and say, you are not your own, but you belong body and soul and life and in death to your faithful savior, Jesus Christ. And that means you have to abandon self. It destroys a life for salvation. It actually grows the life. It gives us purpose so that we're not stuck in who we were, but we become who we are. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, when someone is in Christ, the new creation. The old, gone. The new has come. John 4, 13 and 14 says Jesus answered, he's talking to the talking to the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. She's um, She's the woman of the village that no one wants their husband to be around. They're having this discussion, and Jesus says, he asks for a drink, and he says, talking about himself, he says, everyone who drinks this water the, in, in Jacob's well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. In, indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring." of water welling up to eternal life. And then the other passage is Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says, so are you. You are the salt of the earth. But if a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and not praise you, but praise your Father in heaven. We know these things. We're very familiar with these things. In fact, when we talk to our children and grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our great nieces and great nephews, we tell them, We teach them to sing the little song, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. It's all good stuff. It's good to tell one another. But do we tell others? And sometimes we get afraid or we we think, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. You know enough to go-go. God's love, it all starts with God's love. For God so loved, he gave his son. We know what our problem is. It's sin. It's what separates us from God. God has a solution. And all we need to do is respond to it. We all know enough. It's the story of a young believer. <clears throat> Actually, this happened with, with one of my brothers after he became a Christian. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled where I am, but I'm not going to be one of those witnessing Christians. I wish I had the wherewithal to tell him what This man who was talking to a new believer, he said, Let me ask you a question. When you light a candle, do you wait for it to shine and to bring comfort to the room? When you light a candle, when do you expect it to light up the room and bring comfort? Well, right away. So you don't wait till it burns halfway down before you share the comfort and the light with others? Well, of course not. Then, as Christians, we shouldn't wait until we know more, 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 more before we tell people the very thing that has changed our lives and changed our heart. Jesus, when he's talking with a woman at the well in John 4, he has an interaction with her. She goes and tells her whole village, come meet the man that told me everything about everything I ever did. Well, according to that conversation, if, it, if, if that's what's recorded, he didn't. He just said, you've had five husbands and the man you're with right now isn't your husband. But she felt so known, so loved, so received that she became the first, not other than Jesus, she became the first evangelist in the gospel according to John. Just a couple of paragraphs later, I would say half her village came to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from Jesus himself. That is unthinkable. When are you ready to share your faith with someone else today? You know enough. Jesus is called the Messiah. He's called the bread of heaven. He's called the living water. He's called the light of the world. He's called the lamb of God. He's called the gate. He's called the resurrection and the life. There are lots of other things that Jesus called. And Jesus came to reveal the love of the father to share the truth of God, to offer grace, the grace of heaven, to proclaim the gospel of life, to invite repentance from sin, to pay the price for our sin against God, and, and call us to follow God by becoming organic disciples. People who just know Jesus so well that the flow of grace in us, from us, and through us is natural. Could we be a people... That someone could accuse of being Jesus' grandma because we won't talk about anything else? Through faith in Jesus, you, according to scripture, and I'll give you the references if you want, if you're a note taker, you are a fisher of people, Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22. You're a conduit, you're the pipe by which the living water flows. And we find that in John 4, 13 through 14. You are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. We just read that in Matthew chapter 5, 13, 14 through 16. So what does that mean for us? Taking a next step in discipleship, we all know know what that means. We do. Read the Bible, go to church, pray. There's more to it. We've talked about that for the last six weeks. It means having a life that represents who God is. It means we gather together. It means we're generous people. It means that we understand the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, that our, our doctrine is good, that we know the Scriptures. And we feel like we don't know enough of them. But there's not, I'm guessing that, there, that there's probably not more than five people in this room right now or online that hasn't been familiar with every verse I read today. So you know more than enough. So the first thing we do, if we're going to start looking at being a disciple, truly, and being willing to, when the opportunity presents itself, when the Lord entrusts to us a moment, to talk to someone else about him. To prepare ourselves in advance, always be prepared to give an account of your faith, but do so with gentleness and humility. First thing we need to do is just admit the fact that that scares us to death. Because all the training we've had in our past, all the times we've heard about it, all the awkward stories. When I was at boot camp or assessment center for church planting, I was asked to come prepared to share the gospel with someone. And my friend, Mike Laird, who's the pastor at New England Chapel out in Franklin, Massachusetts, he was the guy that I was supposed to lead to the Lord. And he said, they said, you just, just do your best work. And he will, he might make it a little difficult at first, but he will, he'll give his life to the Lord. Just role play. Well, what they told him is don't you dare. Don't respond at all. Question everything. So, I mean, I brought out my best stuff, the whole chair illustration, and and and, and I kept waiting for him to finally give in, but he, he didn't. They finally, after about 15 minutes, they stopped it, and they said, the one thing we want you to know is you never got mad, and the second thing we want you to know is you didn't get weird. I'm not saying I did it right, because he obviously didn't. He's a pastor now, but, you know. Um, I just chose... If I'm going to love this person enough to tell them about Jesus, it's not up to me whether they say yes or no. I had a friend years ago, I've told you this story before, that was, was doing Amway, It's right not long after I got out of college, it was right after I moved back to, to, to Holland, New Zealand area, and, uh, and he wanted me to come to a, a meeting, a business meeting, and, and I have no problem with, with multi-level marketing, I just know that I can't be someone's pastor and their salesperson, you know, I, I I can't be a pastor and their boss. I can't be working a downline. I can't be doing any of that stuff. But I said, because I love you, Gary, I'll come. So I came, and that guy stood up, and he said, you need to talk to everybody you know, strangers at the gas pump. It doesn't matter. Every friend, every family member, every associate, everyone you know, if you want to build your business, this is what you got to do. And then he says, some will, some won't. So what? Same thing goes with... With, with telling someone else about the love you have for Jesus, some will respond in a good way. Some won't. But, folks, some will. There are people that you know right now that don't know the God you love. There are people right now that don't know that there is a consequence of their sin. And you do. Isn't it better? Don't you love them more if you show them the way? And that's not show them the way to become a good person, that's show them the way who is Jesus. And we talked about knowing your scriptures, own the fact that God has called you to be one of his messengers, not just one of his followers. Evaluate, look at your schedule. Are you too busy to even have conversations with people that don't yet know Jesus? Find someone who you admire in their ability to to do evangelism, to do sharing of faith, and ask them to help you figure out how to do it and not be weird. I mean, one of the easiest questions that there is, is just to say to someone that you're in conversation with naturally, you ever think about spiritual things? Everybody does. And if they don't, it's... Possible that they follow up and say, Well, well, do you? Wide open door. And Jesus is the door. Count the cost. It might cost you some friendships. Live like Jesus and speak like Jesus. G O G O. God's love all starts there. Our problem, God's solution, our response. And to finish this morning, I'm going to read you a parable. You've probably heard it before. Might put me two minutes over. I practiced yesterday. This is not meant to make you feel guilty. This is meant for us to all go, okay, Lord, is there something more you want from me? Now, it came to this is the parable of the fishless fisherman by, oh, name got cut off. I'll find it. Now, it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen, and lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and, and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how, and how they might go fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they they, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. Further they said the fishing industry exists by fishing as fire exists by burning. They love slogans like fishing is the task of every fisherman. Every fisherman is a fisher and a fisherman's outpost for every fisherman's club. They sponsor special meetings called fishermen's Campaigns and, and the, the month of, for fishermen to fish. They sponsor costly nationwide and worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and to hear all about ways of fishing such as the new fishing equipment, fishing calls. Don't know why that one made it in there. And whether and whether any new bait had been discovered. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings, fishing headquarters, they called them. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman, that every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, is they didn't fish. They all seemed to agree that it was needed, what was needed is a board which could challenge fishermen to be faithful in fishing. The board was formed by those who had great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, and to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many other fish of different colors lived. Also, the board hired staff people and appointed committees and held many meetings to define, to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide of the new, which new streams should be thought about. But the staff and the committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built. You're getting the point, right? the next after this one the next paragraph's hilarious the uh, uh, who built who whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish and over the years courses were offered on the need to fish the nature of fish where to find fish the psychological reactions of fish and how to approach and feed fish those who taught had doctorates in physiology I guess that would be ichthyology. But, um, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were, they were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with fish. Some spent much study and travel to learn the history of fishing and to see faraway places where the founding fathers did great fishing in the centuries past. They lauded the faithful fishermen of years, of years before, and they handed down the idea of fishing. Further, the fishermen built large printing houses and published fishing guides. Presses were kept busy day and night to produce material solely devoted to fishing methods, equipment, and programs to arrange and encourage meetings to talk about fishing. The Speaker's Bureau was also provided to, for special events and speakers on the subject of fishing. Many who felt the call to fishermen, to be fishermen, responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back then, most of them never fished. But one, after one stirring meeting, on uh, the necessity for fishing, one young fellow, he left the meeting and he went fishing. And the next day he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell them what he did. So he quit fishing in order to have time to tell about the experience to the other fishermen. He was also placed in a fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience. There's more, but you see the point. Christians are little Christs. And Jesus came. To save the lost. And you're one of his. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of techniques to share the gospel. But really, it's God's love, our problem, God's solution, our response. And you know what, folks? You already know the gospel because he's changed your life. And you know who's an expert, the only expert on your life is? You. And it's okay in the course of everyday conversation to look for an opportunity to share your story. Who you were, what happened, and who you are becoming. Let's pray. Lord, may it be true of us that we love you. And may it be true of us that we love those you sent us to. Lord, open doors, give opportunities, and show us when it's wise to be humble and kind and patient and to share with someone else what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, for his sake and for your glory we pray, amen. Amen.